and CNN, CNN and all those other places out there. They are so darling. I just love them to death. We want to get into the Bible this morning. I want to welcome all. We've got 20-some people on, for, on our YouTube channel this morning, and one of them is my mom and the Lord, Jean Sabaka. She texted us and said she's watching today. So everybody turn around and wave at Jean and tell her we love her. And Merry Christmas, Jean. And uh, everybody here thinks you're awful special, including me. So thank you for all you've done in my life and for Mel and for your family. And we love you very, 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 very much. Well, as you know, we have been uh, uh, in Proverbs chapter 22. We've been coming through the book of Proverbs. And uh, I told you when we got to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that really deals with um, the key verse in, in training up your children. Well, we have a young church, as you can see today. There's lots of babies, lots of teenagers, lots of kids that just sang today. My, my, my. Just a host of great kids. And, um, you know, it's our responsibility to, to give them everything that they need. And it's my responsibility as a pastor to give you, the parents, everything that that you need. So we have been, <clears throat> we have been talking here uh, over the last couple of weeks um, about child training, and I want to bring you through every aspect of it. I figured while we were here and while we were this, on this verse, this is a good time to do it. This will all go into a series that will be available to anybody. I know I laid a plan out. Uh, I got people uh, not only throughout this church, but around the country that are doing it with their kids. I talked to a family up in Alaska this the other day and, and spent time with them on the phone and they're, uh, they're following through with it with their family and uh, it's, just a, it's, just a great, uh, it's just a great time for us for family. So uh, last week I, I showed you uh, the importance of, of laying a baseline of truth in your child's life and I told you last week that we were going to have a, we were going to carry on on the same theme this week because I want to cover this very thoroughly. And I showed you how that you, the parent, you know, need to be the first line of defense in your child's life. The world is going to come after them, and we're going to talk about that today. And you'll leave here today with a better understanding of, of what you're up against, what your child's up against, and, um, and better understand how to be that first line of defense. And uh, you do all of this so that uh, they have a rock-solid foundation uh, against the day that is, is coming uh, in their life. And we talked about that, began to talk about that last week, and we talked about the evil day. I ran you back to Solomon and, and Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and, and the book of Ephesians, and we talked about uh, an evil day that comes into every child's life. And I talked about the mistakes that most parents make in trying to isolate their kids from the world. And that's commendable and admirable, but the problem is it's not practical. You can't do that. And uh, we talked about isolation versus insulation. And you never isolate your child from the world, but you can't insulate your child from the world. And you do that by um, the, what we're talking about, laying down the baseline of principles of the Word of God into their minds where they have in time the ability to bring every thought into captivity under the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, many, 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 many times. It's nothing more than... We're in this world, and uh, you know you all have secular jobs for the most part, and you all uh, you know you all work in the in the system, and uh, you know as well as I do the system is corrupt. Uh, the system can be detrimental to you; it has been to many of God's people. But a, a smart Christian, a smart man, or a smart woman who really 
has an understanding of the Word of God, they won't be afraid of the world system. They won't be afraid of going to work. They won't be afraid of the bad influences that are in uh, every place you go. You learn how to use the system against itself. You learn through the principles in the Word of God to be smarter than the problem. You learn how to go into a negative world every day of your life, see it for what it is, understand what God has given you, and then use the system against itself. And that's what we do. That's what your child needs to learn to do. Many of your kids, or most of them, are in public school. Parents today cringe at the idea of a public school. Well, I understand public schools are a terrible situation. So my advice to you is to use it. Use it against itself. Teach your child. Use it as a training ground. Use it as something that's preparing them. Because let me tell you something. They may be in a godless soul system right now, but there's coming a day they're going to enter into a godless workforce. And if you don't prepare them now how to stand for God now, they'll never be able to stand a little bit later on. And the key is not isolation. key is insulation. The importance of looking ahead and preparing your child for what's coming their way. We've used the term many, many times, long-term versus, uh, versus short-term. And I showed you and I gave you uh, a complete understanding of, of the age of accountability, how that that child grows to a point where now they, they have to uh, make their own decision for, for Christ in their life. Paul talks about that day, and we talk about how many parents make a mistake here of, of getting their child saved before they even get the age of accountability. That's a terrible thing. You can't get a kid saved before he understands he's a sinner. And it, it's a terrible thing. Paul says that when you and I got saved, sin has to become exceedingly sinful. A child doesn't get saved because his brother or sister. He doesn't get saved because he wants to go to heaven. He doesn't get saved because he wants to please mom and dad or he hears the terminology all the time. A child is ready to be saved when he sees that he has a personal sin debt toward God. And that is going to be eradicated through the death of Christ on the cross. Sin becoming exceedingly sinful. And how important it is to be ready against that day. Getting our children ready to take their stand. And I took you back to Ephesians chapter 6. We talked about that chapter. We'll be in it a little bit more today. But it talked about finding my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore... Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's the day that's coming. And having done all to stand. We as parents, me as a pastor, we as a church with our children. Understanding that they are the heritage of the Lord and that the, that the fruit of the womb is his reward. We need to make sure that we, we do those things in their lives. That they have everything and we've done all that they might be able to stand. Train them to apply the armor of God and bringing every thought, as I said, into the captivity of, of the obedience to Christ, teaching them how each piece of the armor works, how valuable it is. Those are the kind of things that parents can do. Now, I know you're in a program right now that we've started a plan where every week you're coming through the last lesson and your family is sitting down and you're, you're, everybody's getting out of it what they need to get out of it to be better part of the family. But once that is done, it's things like this. 
sitting down. You can go on to the website and get the outline. I've talked about it many times, or you're probably most of you are well-versed in it yourself. Sitting down with your family after you're done with this, and then maybe taking one piece of the armor every week, just talking about it, learning how to apply it. And we talked about last week building Christian character in our people's lives. You're not born with character. Character is something that has to be developed. It's a learned behavior. It's something that as you lay a baseline in a child's life, you develop it. Then I told you that today I would take you to probably, in my mind, the greatest place in the Bible to show you as a parent exactly how the devil will come after your child. And, and don't be any mistaken, they will come after your child. He will come after your child. And I'm going to show you why today in just a little bit. You know, in the military, when any army goes to war, and I don't care what army it is, the determining factor between winning and losing will always be the intelligence that they gather. The information they get uh, based on what they're going to do and how they're going to attack. They will pull all of that, all their resources to get all the intelligence that they can, they call it intel, and get it, everything into their life so they understand what they're up against. They're one of and want to know what the enemy's strength is. They want to know what the enemy's position is. They want to to the best of their ability, see and understand their plan of attack. The intel uh, that they develop is an incredible thing that many times winning or losing is based on. And through the intelligence of the Word of God, uh, you will develop a plan against His plan to stop that army. Now in the Bible, that's our ultimate resource for intelligence material. It gives us, we gather intelligence against the attack of the evil day. We get everything that we need of what's coming. And I want to give you uh, an understanding of that day, exactly what is going to happen and transpire. I want to show you the plan of attack that's coming, and in some cases that's already here. But I want to show you the plan of attack when that evil day is going to show up in your child's life. And remember, last week, what I said about that evil day. But before we move into that next section, let's ask God's blessing. Gary Potter, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on it today? My dear friend back there, please. Amen. Now, as I said last week, the evil day, just so we remember now, the evil day is the day that your child steps out of your bubble of protection. They hit the age of accountability. They come to that point now where they've already been introduced to some things. And now they have to begin to make their own choices when you're not around. And uh, some of your children have already entered into this. And, you know, public school is a great example of this. When your child starts school, now they're completely, most of the day, out of your parental control. And, uh, you know, once they start school, even in the basic elementary, it only gets worse as the older they get. They go to grade school. And uh, grade school, in my day, back in the 1950s and 60s, was a piece of cake. Today... It's horrendous. They go to middle school. They go to high school. And now they hear things where you can't protect what they hear anymore. 
Now they hear things that are good, and now they hear things that are very, very bad. They see things, examples right in front of them. They get it from their friends, usually the older kids, and now they get an introduction to the world, and most of them are not prepared for it. They develop their social skills. Up to now, it was limited to family or brothers and sisters and friends, maybe at church. Now there's new influences in their life. Some good, most of it is bad. Now they're up against what we call peer pressure, where they are in with a group of kids and they want to belong. They want to feel a part and the, most of the kids are in the world and they're going the way of the world. And they put pressure on your child to conform into that. That's a hard thing for a child, especially when they're coming up in the junior high age when they're, 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 you know, all of their emotions are all over the page and they're, they're struggling with all of those different emotions. Now it's a whole new world. Uh, some of the, those friends who they meet will, uh, will be very bad for them. The evil day is when your child steps outside the protection of you, the parent, and now you have, they have to make their own choices on their own. Where you could protect them at four, five, six, seven, and maybe even eight or nine, now they're stepping out into it. Now they have to choose who their friends are going to be, where they're going to go, and what they're going to do. Now they will have the opportunity to do things behind your back without you knowing what they're going to do. They'll build wrong relationships right here. They'll make bad choices, and they'll try to hide them from you. Sometimes you catch them, sometimes you don't. Most parents are oblivious to it and don't find out till it's way too late. I don't know how many times you've read it, seen stories on a TV where a girl, uh, a young girl was on the Internet with her computer. She found some guy and talked to the guy, and the guy was uh, some kind of serial rapist or some kind of a serial killer. And she meets him and mom and dad, behind mom and dad back, never see her again. And you hear stories like that, and everybody asks, especially a precious little teenage girl, everybody asks, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. Where are the parents? Why are they not watching and understanding? Why wasn't that little gal as the guys prepared against the first cuss words they got to hear? The first smoking of cigarettes they're introduced to. The first taking of drugs or the drinking of alcohol. There has to be a first line of defense. And in truth, those early choices, will they'll make you or they'll break you. Uh, for those choices of how you deal uh, with them will get, um, get you the way you come out in life. You know, could, kids start out, I mean, ask yourself, kids start out loving their parents, but then at 16, 17, and 18, they wind up hating their parents. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. A transformation began to take place the day that evil day came into their life. They began to transform from that little sweet little child into, and I'm going to show you the process in just a moment. They began the transformation from that sweet little child that loved mom and dad, that did not want to leave their side, to somebody now who hates mom and dad, argues with them, doesn't want to be with them. Now, there's two transformations in the Bible, by the way. One of them is in Romans chapter 12, that we're transformed on a daily basis into the image of Christ. That's the one you want. But I'm going to show you a transformation into the world of your child when the evil day comes. And you know what? 
for you and me as Christians, for your children. Life's not very complicated. We like to make it complicated. We like to catch our kids a psychiatrist or therapist and get all these things. All they do is make it more complicated. They do it for a living. When they can't find any problem with your child, they'll develop some and make up some so you'll keep someone to see them. Let me tell you something. Life is real simple. It is real simple. You and your child, you as an adult Christian and you as your child is going to do one of two things. You're either going to stand for God or you're going to stand for the devil. It's just that simple. There is no middle ground in it. There's no middle ground. And the parent has to face and deal with this evil day. And it will determine which path they follow. Like I gave you in Psalm 127, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of you. Just as a guy takes a bow and arrow and hits a target, you take your child in life and you launch him one way or the other. Now, it, it just so happens that there is a great story in the Old Testament that illustrates this New Testament principle that I want to talk about today. It's an incredible thing. When I'm at camp, and I've been preaching camps now here with our kids for the last three years, uh, I don't care uh, how many times I repeat it, I preach this message every year. They need to hear this every year. They forget, and uh, we always have new kids, but it's a message that I take the time and really build my week of preaching around this message. And it's a story about a young man not much older than most of our kids today. And he had to face the evil day in his life, just like all of our children will too. And he came away with a great walk with God. He, he took a great stand for God. And he lived for God and walked with God for over 80 years of his life. One of the greatest examples in the Bible of staying away from the world. And of course, I'm talking about the man Daniel. You know, when you go to school, I always tell your kids, they have what they call a D.A.R.E. program. And a D.A.R.E. program is a good thing. I mean, uh, it probably doesn't work very well, but if it just saves one kid from getting in drugs, it's worth it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the D.A.R.E. program is a program that talks about uh, D.A.R.E. D-A-R-E stands for Drug Abuse uh, Resistance and Education. And I think that's a good thing. When I preach to your kids in camp, and I'm going to talk to you this morning, I have, this church has its own D.A.R.E. program. And our D.A.R.E. program will work more than just drugs and alcohol. Our D.A.R.E. program will work everything in their life. Now, when you go to school, they have their little acronym. I don't have an acronym for mine. My D.A.R.E. My D.A.R.E. program is just D.A.R.E. to be a Daniel. D.A.R.E. to be a Daniel. Because Daniel's the only example that you need, and it's the greatest example anywhere in the Bible on what's coming your child's way. We talked about a high tower built on the principles of the Word of God. David's tower, uh, where he got up, and a tower you can look and see what's coming. This is, this is what a parent does when you get things like this in your life. You get on that high tower, you see what's coming in your child's life long before it gets there. And the life of Daniel is an incredible story. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 1 with me. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. Just listen. I'm going to read it for you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, uh, that's Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels uh, into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, 
the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed which, uh, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as have the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Haniah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave name, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and unto Hanai of Meshach, and unto Mishael of Meshach, and unto Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now this story is, without a doubt, the single greatest example in the Bible of the evil day coming in your child's life, or in some cases, already here. Now, first of all, I want you to see how this thing kind of plays out. First of all, we have Babylon. Babylon, for us and our story today, will be a type of the world system. It'll be a type of everything that is wrong with the world. Absolutely. Then we have Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar will represent for us the devil, who is over Babylon, the world system. And then we have the Hebrew children. Uh, and that'll be a type of your kids and a picture of your kids today. And what you have in this story is a picture of the world and the devil trying to get your children to, listen to me, it's a picture of the world and the devil trying to get your child to stand for him instead of standing for God. And I want to simply today in the time that we have here, and hopefully we'll get out of here uh, earlier today because I know everybody wants to get on with your Christmas, but I, I want to show you fundamentally four things that they had to face. And these four things are exactly what your child is going to have to face. And these four things are exactly that you as a parent need to be understand and be looking for and realize that when that evil day comes, it comes in four installments. And I want to talk to you about it. Now, first of all, I want you to look at verse 3 and 4. It says, children of the king's seed. Now, every one of these children here are in the line of Christ. If you would go back into the genealogies listed for you uh, in the Bible, you would find that these kids are within the line of Christ. Obviously, obviously what the devil is trying to do through his servant Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is to destroy that line. He wants to stop Christ from ultimately coming, so he thinks that if he can corrupt the line of Christ, he'll stop that. Now, that's what you got historically, but let's talk about this thing. It says, children of the king's seed. Each one of these kids were in the line of Christ physically. And I want to tell you something. If your child is saved this morning spiritually, they're in the line of Christ. They're God's child. They're God's heritage. They're in the line of Christ in a spiritual way, just like these three, four Hebrew children were in a physical way. I want to tell you something. The devil wants to stop your child from ever being what God wants them to be, just like he wanted to stop these people. I'm going to tell you something. These four kids, these four kids are the key. Daniel, Daniel, you all see it in here a little bit. Daniel is the absolute key to the first coming of Christ. 
And if the Nebuchadnezzar could have stopped these four kids from ever being what God wanted to be, he would have disrupted the whole concept of the first coming of Christ. Now, by me saying that, let me say this. Your children today are the key to the second coming of Christ. Where they were the key to the physical return of Christ, your children are the key to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where those four kids ushered in the Messiah to the nation of Israel, you are ushering in to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, Christ coming to this world. They had a job to do. Your children have a job to do. That's why the Bible says they're God's heritage. That's why the Bible says that the fruit of your womb is his reward. God has a plan, and the devil wants to stop him. He says in verse 4, Children whom there was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science. These kids were just like our kids. They had been raised, obviously, in a good home. They had been protected, protected by their parents, protected by that very good, wholesome Jewish uh, family back in the Old Testament that was impeccable and incredible. They were protected by their parents. They were protected by their religion, just like your kids are protected by their church. And now they have been ripped from their parents. They have been taken from the very protection that they knew. And now they're faced with some terrible circumstances. The Bible says they were children in whom there was no blemish, well favored. He would have the king's seed. I want to tell you something. The devil will always go after the best. He really will. I look at some of you guys and some of you gals in here, and in my way of thinking, being in my church and knowing you and work working together, you're the best there are. Best there is. You're really good. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I look at that thing, and I know where some of you have come from. And I want to say very honestly that in many of your lives, you young men and young ladies are standing by my side, doing the ministry in this church, touching people's lives, raising your families right or will in time. I want you to know you're a miracle of God. Amen. The deck was stacked against you so desperately. Amen. But God saw something in you. And I thank God every day Amen. that God protected you. And when you face that evil day, and I'll be honest, you want to talk about the grace of God and, and God's goodness and God seeing something in you. That's why I tell so many of you when you screw up. And we all screw up. But I tell so many of you, come on, man, come on. I see something in you that is special. And if I can see it, how much more must God see it? Amen. And if God can see it, how much more can the devil see it? And he wants to stop you. Dead in your tracks. Dead in your tracks. And these kids were just like many of us. And our kids are the best. I look at those little kids coming up here and I, I talk to them and watch them and the teenagers we have here and the young saying, oh my goodness. And now these kids here who were raised and protected and learned the Bible and learned the Old Testament and loved God and, and honored God, honored their mom and their dad and did everything they were supposed to do just right, suddenly are ripped from all of that and put into the most godless, perverted society that the world has ever recorded the annals in history. Carried off the Babylon. Verse 2, our second thing we want to look at, excuse me, verse 5, our second thing. And the king appointed a daily provision of the king's meat and of the, and of the wine which he drank 
so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Oh, I've always looked at that, and I've always saw a great parallel. You know, when the Lord, the Lord, it obviously to go here, he wants them to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, the world, the devil. But you ever notice the time frame here is three years. He wants to give them a daily provision of the wine and the meat that he ate. And i got to tell you something, that that meat and all them provisions were dedicated to all the pagan gods that Babylon worshipped. And he wants to give them a daily provision. That is a picture of the devil serving up a daily portion to your child every day. Once they hit that day, once they're past the age of accountability, once they're out of your control and they have to face the world, the flesh, and the devil, he's going to give them a devil helping of it. And it's only what you have laid in their life, as you will see, that's going to keep them from going. I want to tell you something. Three years. You ever notice in the first coming of Christ, when he, Matthew chapter 10, when he called out the 12 apostles, he ministered with them for three years before he went back to heaven. It took him three years to get them ready to take over the work that he was now turning over to them that would bring about all of Christianity. Three years to train his apostles. I would simply say that if you give me your life and give me a dedicated good run at it, in three years' time, I could have you grounded enough in the Word of God that you probably uh, would never want to go back to the world again. Three years is a key here. What I'm saying is this. It took the Lord three years and once his apostles hit that point, they weren't ever going back to the world. And it takes three years for the devil. He gives your child for three years, they'll probably never go back to the Lord. That's the model. That's the picture. And it's a scary picture. And the whole goal was at the end of that three-year period that they might stand before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And it tells us that the reason uh, that he does that is he wants to teach them the way of the Chaldean. And the Chaldean is Babylonian. It's the world system. And for our children, every day, when they go to school or out of, of, with their friends, uh, the devil will have a daily proportion for them. They, he's going to make sure that they get it laid out right in front of them. You have to make sure they walk by it. That portion that the devil has will be put into your child's life to take the things of God out of their life and put the things of the world in their life. And I want you to notice in verse 4 there's two things. One, first of all, learning the way of the Babylonians. We already saw about in Proverbs 22, 6, the way that God wants your child to go. You see, God wants your child to go one way. The devil wants them to go another way. And when they took these kids and ripped them, the king's seed, and ripped them out of their families, took them down into the most godless situation the world has ever seen. His whole goal was to teach them the way of the world. And then he says, the tongue of the Chaldean. He wanted to get them to talk like the world. Now this is why your kid's language changes. This is why, uh, you know, that when they're growing up, they're sweet and kind and tender. And then when they get to that age, now they're rebellious. Now, they, 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 where they showed you reverence and honor at one point, now they, they'll argue with you. They'll say terrible things to you. Learning the way of the Babylonians and taking and talking like the people in Babylon. That's what this provision does. And your child is faced with it every day. He's ripped ripped from your family. He goes to a school system. He goes out with his friends. 
those friends, will, the devil will make sure that they will talk about everything your child does not need to hear. And then the third thing that he does, this will be verse 7, 6, 7, and 8. And the king appointed them a daily provision. Yes, he does. Of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them. See, there it is. Three years. That at the end they might stand before the king. That's the whole purpose of this. He wants to nourish them with the things of the world that they'll forget about the things of God. Remember Ecclesiastes 12.1? Remember now thy creator the days of thy youth before the evil days come when thou say I have no pleasure in them? There's coming an end of that time, and these boys are faced with it here. Now among, and I think this is great. Now among these are the children of Judah, Daniel, Hanai, and Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and unto Haniah of Shadrach, and unto Mishael, of a, uh, uh, Michel, uh, Meshach, and unto Azariah of Bendigo. Now the next thing he does, and I want you to see this. This is what's going to happen in your child's life. He redefined who they were by changing their name. And that's what the world wants to do with your child. They're sweet when they're six, seven, eight, nine, maybe. But when they get to be in their teens, something changes about them. Somebody, how many times have you said, I don't know what happened to my child. I, he's not what he used to be. She's not the way she used to be. Now we fight about everything. I used to be their best friend. Now they don't want to be around me. What happened? Somebody changed their name. I mean, Daniel. That's the name that God gave him. Daniel means God my judge. Haniah. That's the name that God gave him. Their parents gave him. It means God is gracious. Michelle. That's the name the parents gave him. It means God is without equal. Azariah. That's the name that, that the parents gave him. It means God is my helper. But oh, when the world got him. The world took Daniel and chained it to Belshazzar. And Belshazzar means Baal's prince. He took Haniah, which means God is gracious, and chained it to Shadrach, which means the illumination of the sun god. He took Mishael, which means God without equal, and changed it into Meshach, which means who was like Venus. He took Azariah and chained it into Abednego, which means servant of Nego. See what the devil does? This is why your child changes. When they get a daily proportion and you don't have a first line of defense and you haven't laid the foundation of truth in their life, when that evil day hits, the first thing he's going to do is try to get your child to be somebody they're not. I mean, look at God's names again. Daniel, God is my judge. Haniah, God is gracious. Mishael, God is without equal. Azariah, God is my helper. Now you stop and think about that. Those are four great concepts that every child ought to understand and know. You ever look at how the first two go together and the second two go together? Daniel, 
God is my judge. You see, the first thing your child needs to understand that there's a judgment of God coming. Now, your child needs to understand that God is a righteous God and he's not going to let them get away with sin anymore. He does. So Daniel, he understood that God was judge. But along with that, we just don't want to talk about the judgment of God. Haniah means God is gracious. That child not only needs to know the judgment of God, he needs to know the grace of God. See how that works? What an incredible concept. And the devil just ripped it from him. Your child needs to know that God is a righteous judge that's going to hold them accountable, but he's a gracious God who's going to be there for them. Michelle means God without equal. Your children need to know how great God is. The omnipotence of God. The omnipresence of God. God is the greatest being in the universe. The greatest power in the universe. That sustains everything in our universal system. God is great. He is without equal. Michelle. But Azariah means God is my helper. The kid needs to understand how great God is, but he needs to understand that as great as God is, God's still right there by his side and wants to be his helper. Isn't that a great four concepts? Isn't that a great four concept that God is judged, but God is gracious? God is great, but he's my friend. He created all the universe, the planets, the galaxies. He's the supreme architect of the universe. He did everything. And then when he was done work, he said, I'm going down to Bob's house and hang out with him. And the devil took that from them. He doesn't want Daniel to think about God being judged. He wants Daniel to be Baal's prince and think that he can do whatever he wants to do without any accountability. He doesn't want Haniah to think about God's grace. He wants Haniah to be uh, uh, worship the sun god and all of the beauty of it. He doesn't want Michelle to think about God be without equal and saying how great thou art. He wants him to focus on Venus in blue jeans. He doesn't want Azariah to know that he can always turn to help to God in a time of trouble. He wants him to be a servant of Nego, the great pagan god of the Babylonians. The devil, through his daily provision, wants to get your child to be somebody other than who they are. And parents stand right there and watch the, watch the transformation take place. They actually watch it, and they actually scratch their head and say, What happened? The devil transformed them. The devil transformed them because the parent didn't transform them. And I want to say to you, somebody's going to transform them. Because at the end of the day, we're either going to stand for God or we're going to stand for the devil. We won't stand anywhere in between. He changed their names. I mean, it's real simple. God has something he wants them to be, and he wants to take them them to take a stand for it. He wants them to enter into his dare program. He wants them to dare to be a Daniel. The devil wants to change them. He wants to get them to think like the world, talk like the world, be somebody they're not, and take their stand for him instead of God. 
And yet the Bible says that that transformation, that God wants to transform your child, comes by the transformation of the renewing of your mind on a daily basis. There's the first line of defense. There's the baseline of Bible truth. Now that's the evil day coming in your child's way. That day when they leave your protection and, and your home and you the parents and now have to be faced with all the things the world will throw at them. Now I want to tell you kids something. I tell it to your parents all the time. I don't always get to talk to you or preach to you. I know you're here on the third Sunday, which is today. But I want to tell you all something. And it's a simple thing. It's nothing profound, but you ought to remember it the rest of your life. And it's simply this. Life is about choices. There are some choices you can make in life that you can skate by. And because you can do that, we get in our mind a delusion that we're above the law, so to speak. But there are some choices that when you make them, you can't go back on them. When a young girl gives away her virginity to some boy in the back seat of a car, let me tell you something. God will forgive her. She can ask God to forgive her. God will forgive her. God will restore her. God, everything can be just right with God, but he won't make her a virgin again. Some choices have serious consequences. We here teach you the Bible. We show you what the Bible says. We give you God's principles in all of your life for one reason, and that is so this is why we have camp and what we do. This is why we had the leadership training after camp to bring you on to keep going. You know why? We do it for one reason. We understand what you're up against. I want to help mom and dad. I cannot take their place. I cannot be a stand-in for your mom and dad. I cannot. But when I have mom and dad doing what's right and we work together, we can do everything that we do for one reason. That is so you'll make good choices. But good choices start in your heart with the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now the fourth thing. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. Dare to be a Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Now, we talked last week about character. And I told you that I was going to show you one of the greatest examples of character we're in the Bible, and it's Daniel. Doing right when nobody sees. Doing right when nobody not only sees, but nobody will ever find out. Daniel's hundreds of miles away from home. He probably, from the narrative in the Bible, never saw his parents again. Maybe they were killed in the, in the captivity. I don't know. When Nebuchadnezzar came down, a lot of them will. And you know what? He is a situation where he's not where in a situation because of any bad choice that he made. He's here because I guess God wanted to give us a good example. So God allowed him to go down into Babylon. God allowed him to go through all of this so you and I could see. As a young kid, not much older than most of you. And you know what? He could have rationalized his situation. We all do. 
he could have said, well, you know what? That mean old God, he put me down here. I was, I was doing right and I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. And, and now he ripped me out of my family. I'm mad at him. I hate him because he killed my mom and dad or they're dead or I'm not going to see him. My brothers and sisters were all split up. I don't know how God could do such a thing after all we did. He could have rationalized and said, you know what? I'm just going to make the best of my situation simply because I didn't ask to be here. God put me here. I'll show him. How many times I've heard that from God's people today? My next question is, is an old Dr. Phil comment, and how's that working for you? Daniel understood something that you kids need to understand and you parents need to understand. God has a plan for your life, kids. He has something he wants you to do. You're in right now as a training ground. Your mom and dad are the DIs. They're cutting you through the basic training. They're laying the first line of defense and the foundation in your life so you can stand. Because I'm telling you, you're going to go through your own Babylonian captivity at some point in life. The devil's going to come after you. He's going to bring your friends. He's going to bring this. He's going to bring that. He's going to try to change your name. He's going to try to do everything he can so you'll stop being what God wants you to be. Stop being what the world wants you to be. Not very complicated. You see, that's what we call character. He was a long way. Nobody would have found out. Who would have blamed him? Sometimes you're in a situation where nobody sees but God. And that really defines what your character is. Whether you're more worried about mom and dad finding out or worried about God seeing it. That speaks volumes about Daniel's character. That makes sense to me why, even though he could have done whatever he wanted to do and justified it, and most of the people on planet Earth would have said, I get it. He said, it isn't about me. It's about what God has for me. Daniel, I don't know, he probably didn't understand it. Probably didn't. Probably no more than we understand it today. I don't think Daniel understood how important his relevance was to the first coming of Christ. And if Daniel would have went down, we wouldn't have had the greatest book that bridges the gap between 606 B.C. up to the first time of Christ. We'd have lost that great piece of the puzzle. Daniel's 70th week that shows us exactly the time Christ was coming. I don't think he saw it. But God saw it. You know what? God didn't need to show it to him because God knew he had character. And when you and I have character with God, God doesn't have to give us all the answers all the time. He knows we're going to stick with him based on our character. Nobody would have known. Yet he won't do anything against God. He had been trained at home by his parents just like many of you have been. And this is why many of you kids won't do what's wrong when you're outside your parents. You, you work with them. You're so close to them. You're in touch with them. Somebody tries to get you to do something, your parents are the first ones you tell about. And now when that evil day comes, he's able to make the right choices. He's able to take his stand. Now the rest of this great chapter shows how that he has too many ingredients that we all need to have in our life to take our stand. One is an outward, the other is an inward. You see, Daniel had courage. And courage is always an outward expression. 
Courage is what we do when we're faced with something, how we respond to it. So the first ingredient that he had that we all need to have and your kids need to have built into them is courage. Courage to look outward at the world and say, no, thank you. But courage outwardly is only based on character inwardly. Without any inward character, there'll be no outward courage. Where courage is the ability to choose to take a stand for God, character is the ability to live for God no matter what the choices are that are in front of you because you're going to do what's right. He's pressured by Nebuchadnezzar to conform. He's threatened by Nebuchadnezzar with punishment. But in his life, the power of God was more important than the power of a king. And you got to get your kids to the place, to that first line of defense, and that time you have with them, that the power of God in their life is more powerful than the power of the world in their life. And God stands by him through it all, and he becomes one of the greatest men in the Bible. Dare to be a Daniel. Now, all he went through in his ability to stand and our study as we apply it to your kids, we'll go back to one simple thing that the Bible tells you as children to do, and I'm still talking to the kids here. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, that great chapter on the armor of God, that you take your stand against the evil day, it all starts out with one great truth. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. God gave you parents for a reason. Those parents are there to be your first line of defense. I'm sorry if they're not. Hopefully out of this, many of them will begin to be. If it goes the way it's looking, there's going to be a transformation in this church of parents who want to do what they need to do. And it all starts with that one single great truth. You kids have to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience to God starts with you, your obedience to your parents. And I'm talking to the kids. Kids, your obedience to God starts with your obedience to your parents. But I want to talk to the parents. Parents, your obedience all starts, your, your, your child's success all starts with your obedience to God. What are you going to do? God has given you parents to form the early, the early uh, authority in your life. So when you get older and you can make that transition to God and His Word, and I'm going to show you how that actually happens in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to walk you through the process. I've always marveled at, at verse 4, children in whom there were no blemish but were favored, well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such that had the ability in them to stand before the king. You know, it says in verse 20, and all, it, it's a thing where they had, they had the ability in them. They didn't get this ability at this time in their life from their parents. They didn't have a cell phone to call their preacher or get their youth pastor. They already have the ability in them. And what a parent has to do is you have to train them and lay down the first line of the fence that they have the ability to stand in them. The world wanted to destroy them. It wanted to teach them the learning in the tongue of the Chaldean. And there's three great things here that they were taught that paid off in that evil day. First of all, he says they were skillful in wisdom. That would tell me that there's five wisdom books in the Bible. That would tell me that these kids were skilled in the greatest books of the Bible to deal with the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men. That would be the writings of Solomon. Bible says that they were cunning in knowledge. 
that would be, that would be the prophets. Cunning and knowledge. Knowledge is the facts. These kids understood from the prophets, and all of the prophets were written by this time. These kids knew exactly who they were. They knew who Israel was. They knew who, who they were as God's chosen people. They knew everything about it that they needed to know. They understood the facts because they, they were cunning in knowledge. They knew it. I like the word cunning. It suggests to me that they were so skillful in wisdom and cunning in knowledge that they had the ability, and you see it in chapter 1. Here is a great example, kids, of a young man not much older than you having the cunning knowledge and having the understanding of skill and wisdom that he comes before the greatest king of the time, the greatest kingdom of the time, who has just about conquered the known world, and yet this little guy named Daniel uses a system against itself for the honor and glory of the Lord. That says something. That tells me that you can do it too. That tells me you get the right things in your life, even though you're faced with the world and you're out there with the world, flesh, and the devil, and they got a daily proportion for you every day of your life. If you want to, you can be smarter than the problem, and you too can use a system against itself. And this gave them the ability for them to stand. Somebody laid a baseline of truth in their life. Somebody saw this coming and was their first line of defense. You see, I told you a minute ago, Daniel is the key to the first coming of Christ. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation go hand in hand. That's why the critics of the Bible have always criticized Daniel. They've always criticized the book of Revelation. They'll try to get rid of it. They overlap each other. They supplement each other. Daniel fills the gap from 606 B.C. up to the first coming of Christ. Revelation fills the gap from the New Testament church up to the second coming of Christ. So they go hand in hand. And your child, your family, faces its own form of Babylonian captivity today. We're in a world that is just as vile and rotten as Babylonian ever, captivity ever thought about being. And that wants to capture your child. Many parents were already caught and captured by it. And their kids are born into a family that is already in captive of Babylon. And in both cases, the devil wants to stop them standing for Christ and start them to stand for him. Verse 20 says, as you read through the story, Daniel, smarter than the problem, cunning in knowledge, skillful in wisdom, Understanding science, that's the third one, that would be Genesis and Job. You know, Babylon had a system of evolution back in their day. And they had their own science, but these boys knew the biblical science laid out in the Bible. They're quite incredible. And the Bible says that when Daniel is faced with all this, he simply goes to the Lord and God gives him a plan. And he says this to the king. He says, look, I know you want us to be, I know you want us to be, you know, part of this system and all of that. But he said, honestly, we're better off with what we eat being Jews. And I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's give us some time. You bring all your best of your kingdom, your astrologers and your magicians, and you let them eat of all the provision of the king. And you allow us, us Jewish boys, 
to eat what we ate back at home. And let us stay away from your stuff and then put us together at the end of a period of time. And we'll just see who's better. Sounds like a fair deal. So the king said, okay. That was his bad choice. Okay, I'll do that. Bible says at the end of the period of time, he brought in his astrologers and his magicians, and then he put the four Hebrew children up against them. I don't know if they had a question and answer or a debate. doesn't say. But it does say that at the end of that whole deal, that the children of Israel were ten times better than anything that Babylon had to offer. Ten times better. I look at my high school kids, my junior high kids, your kids, our kids, the ones that are dialed in, the ones who understand, the ones who go to school every day with a Bible under their arm, the ones who witness to their friends, the ones that take their stand against their own Babylonian world that they're in. And I want to tell you something. They're ten times better than anything the world has to offer. They really are. He says, oh, I love this. They're up against the magicians and the astrologers. Now, that's a perfect example of the world system. Everybody know who David Copperfield is? The great magician? He's quite incredible. He made a 747 disappear once right on the runway. He made a big old elephant disappear. He's done things that defy the laws of gravity, and people just go, ooh, ah, and wonder. End of the day, it's all a trick. Let me tell you something. If he could make a 747 disappear, the United States government would pay him $60 million to fly over Russia and make all their planes disappear. <laughs> you know what a magician is? Now, I'm not, I would love to be a magician. I think it's neat. I, 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 I used to play a game with my kids where I'd have a quarter and I'd put it in this hand. And when they were little, they, they were pretty good at buying into it. But as they got older, they said, ah, Grandpa, you, 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 you dropped it and put it under your leg. You don't really have it. But I would take that coin and I would say, okay, watch this. And they'd watch me and, I, and I'd look up and I'd distract them for a minute and I'd say, Izzy, stop that. Or we didn't have Izzy back then. Whoever stopped that. And they'd look over and I'd put it under my leg. And I'd say, Watch. Which hand do you think it's in? Remember this, Maddie? <laughs> Maddie tapped that hand. Maddie's thinking. I said, what hand, Maddie? What's God? Be oh, their eyes are getting big. It was an illusion. It was a very bad illusion. <laughs> if I didn't have the dog as my counterpart, there would have been no illusion to it. But I watched those. Pick a card, any card. And I think it's incredible. And it looks like magic. But there is no magic. David Copperfield, I don't know how he did it, but if, if you'd have walked out there, you'd have ran into that 747 and busted your head. It was still there. That elephant would have stepped on you and squashed you. It was still there. The magicians of this world only give an illusion that it's real. And I want to tell you something. The things of this world, kids, mom and dad, he had magicians come in. You know why? Because everything in Babylon up against God and the Word of God was just an illusion. And what you think in the world is real, what you think in the world is fun, what you think in the world is worth standing for and investing your life in, I'm here to tell you, it's an illusion. And your kids need to understand that. 
Your kids need to understand that. It isn't real. It's an illusion. And all this gave them the ability to stand. In both cases, the devil, Nebuchadnezzar, wants to stop them for standing for God and then stand for him. And that's exactly what the world does. And they're going to do those four things. They're going to take the very best that you have in your family, which is your kids, and try to destroy them. They're going to come after them with a daily proportion of the king's meat, the world. They're going to try to change their name and transform them from what God wants them to be to what the world wants them to be. And the only thing that's going to give them the courage and the character, the purpose in their heart, is what you build into them right now by taking the responsibility and doing what God wants them to do to make them ten times better. And I'm proud of the kids in our church. I am, every one of them. I know that we got some that could be better. I know, I get it. We'll get there. I understand. The good thing about the good kids in this church is I got good parents in this church. And they'll do what they need to do because they don't want to see their kids go to the way of Babylon either. You know, I was asked Thursday night, uh, I got a phone call from somebody that was thinking about coming to church here. I, I didn't know him. And uh, they asked me, about our Christmas service this morning. And I said, well, I said, uh, I'm in the book of Proverbs right now and we're dealing with training up your children, so we're going to stick with that. In fact, this probably this Sunday is going to be the key message for all of it, for the parents. And, it, you know, oblivious to them, they simply said, so what you're saying is you're not having a Christmas service. I said, well, probably not in the way you're thinking of it. I mean, we won't have the moron tabernacle choir here. We won't have Christmas tizzle hanging from the fans. When the fans go around, it just clogs them up. We won't have a tree. We won't have this and that. We'll have a fun spirit. We'll have a good time. But uh, we won't have your traditional thing. Okay, thank you. Click. You know, and, that, and that's fine. I understand. That's what people want. But as I thought about it, I, I got to be honest with you. I almost said, you know what? I almost called Bob, Greg, and Bubba and some of the guys, John and, and Danny, and said, go find me a big tree. Get, deck the halls. Just make this thing. And it's just, I'll just preach a nice Christmassy message today. We'll, we'll have a Penny Hansinger dress up as a wise man and, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, baby, Bubba can be the baby Jesus, you know. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, we'll just, you know. Uh, the guys can sing, you know, the guys can sing, you know, away in a manger, you know, who is he? He's a stranger or something like that. And then I, th I thought about it. I said, what is wrong with you, Bob? By the way, there's lots of things wrong with me. But I said to myself, what, what, is, what, what are you doing? And the Lord said, don't you know, you just do what you're planning on doing. Because I know it's Christmas and I know everybody's in the spirit of giving. But I want to tell you something. The greatest gift you can ever give these parents is their families back and their children. So just preach what you have. Now, I repented. <laughs> Got right with God. For a moment, I thought, you know, I know I just, uh, I just, I, and, and, and that's stupid to me. Because I'm going to tell you something. The greatest gift that God ever gave any of us is our children. Amen. And the greatest gift I can give to you as parents today are the tools to make sure when that evil day comes, the devil don't get them. Let's commit to ourselves today at Christmas that we'll not lose one more of our kids out of our church to the world. Moms and dads, it's on your shoulders. 
sugar responsibility. Just work together. I'm working with four or five parents right now, just helping them. I worked with this couple up in Alaska, another couple of other places uh, this week on the phone, long distance. You know, they're excited. They're watching this morning. They're doing everything uh, you know that they need to do, and it's it, it'll change everything. So I just want to you know next week we're going to get in, and I'm gonna we're going to go up to the next level now that we got this, and I'm going to show you you know some things next week about. Uh, uh, the next level about parenting and helping you put all this stuff together. But we'll, we'll hold up there today. And uh, I want you to have a great Christmas the rest of the day. I want you to have a great time. Enjoy your families. Enjoy the time you have. And uh, please take time to sign up for, for the New Year's deal, whatever. Um, if uh, on Monday, if you want to come to the boats,